Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow a great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. For nearly half a century, Kina Pettijohn has navigated her career with one of the seven habits of highly effective people begin with the end in mind. Fast forward to today, Kina is now CEO and founder of Life Logics, a strategic consultancy firm that embraces holistic technology solutions that transforms the advisor into a life coach by addressing the wealth, health, and happiness needs of the clients they serve. Kina is also the innovations advisor to the Bank Insurance and Securities Association, BISA, which boasts a membership of over 1,100 senior decision makers from national banks and credit unions throughout the country engaged in wealth management. And right before the COVID pandemic, she headed BISA's Innovations Lab at their annual conference in March. Kina's work as author and moderator of Digital Transformation of the Customer Journey with Albridge, Pershing, and Fiserv was featured in the 2019 BISA annual publication. Kina's origin story in the financial services begins on Wall Street over 46 years ago as a technical trader and an arbitrageur. She's an accomplished wealth management executive with over 40 decades in the financial services industry with expertise in bank, credit unions, broker-dealers, RIAs, and insurance distribution channels. Throughout her career, Kina has witnessed the biggest names in the financial services grow up, from LPL to Wells Fargo to TD Ameritrade, even the T3 conference, which she effectively calls T3 University. And one of the many gifts you'll discover about Kina is her ability to evolve. She herself has gone through nine acquisitions, nine relocations, nine bosses, and nine teams, and has had to reinvent herself each and every time. She's a lifelong learner and a keen observer of technology trends as it relates to the mature and then the up and coming disruptors. Kina's nearly half a century journey is a page taken right out of the financial services longevity career playbook in the suite. So hello everyone. We are just, we're having a lot of fun behind the scenes when the camera wasn't rolling actually. And I am really proud to be sitting here today, virtually, of course, even though we're both in the same state and that would be Florida right now. I am joined by Kina Pettijohn, who is CEO and founder of Life Logics. And the one remarkable thing about Kina is that, Kina, you've been an accomplished wealth management executive now for over 30 years in the financial services industry. And you have a different skill set than I do. You have deep expertise in banks, credit unions, broker-dealers, RAs, insurance, insurance distribution channels, as well as a lot of uh, product innovation. So I am so excited to talk to you. The last time that we spoke, 
interestingly enough, you were one of the last events before COVID. Yes. Uh, from March 3rd to March 9th, I had a client that was working with you at BISA Bank mm -hmm. Insurance Securities Association at your annual conference. So yes. number one, I wanted to welcome you to the con to the to the not to the conference. I wish we were at the conference. <laughs> Me too. I want to welcome you to the podcast today. It's so great to see you. Uh, I know that you and Craig are doing well and all of your animals. So hello and welcome to In the Suite. Thank you, Tina. This this is an honor, truly. Um, I want you to know that this is my first podcast ever. Uh, so be gentle on me. <laughs> We're going to have a great conversation today. And yes, it's, it's, it's wonderful, right? I mean... I'm so excited that you're here and the fact that this is a person that this is your first podcast yes. is something that is I feel really fantastic about and you should. So the goal of the podcast is to talk about the origin stories of women in financial services and wealth management. And one of the reasons that that I want I started the podcast is to hear from a variety of voices. And just as you and I were talking before the podcast even started to roll, I said, if somebody, when I was in my twenties would have told me how awesome this industry is and how it's filled with amazing people, mm -hmm. technology, talent, events, mm -hmm. how I would feel so, how I would be able to go into the universe and do my best work being here in this industry. I think you would say the same thing. Absolutely. Uh, and that's why you're here. I want to hear your story. Let's kind of, let's talk about right now your CEO and founder of Life Logics. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about Life Logics. It's your own consulting firm. Congratulations on that. And you and I started to deal with each other and when you were just in the formation stages of Life Logics. So let's start there and then we'll segue into BISA and a lot of uh, interesting topics we have in store today. Thank you, Tina. It's interesting that I arrived at the name Life Logics, and then of course we all uh, want to be strategic consultants. So it expanded to Life Logics Strategic Consultancy Group. But I'll tell you, it took me a while, and also we had conversation when I first embarked on this. And again, I'll still call you the Wizard of Oz. I had no idea of what the name was going to be, uh, what the value I was bringing to the market, what my deep level of expertise was. And I will always uh, be grateful for your friendship and your support, because like the Wizard of Oz, you gave me the heart and the courage and the brain to go forth. And that is absolutely the most important part of what I did with someone such as yourself, because for those people embarking on this industry, surround yourself with positive, supportive, inspirational people that really believe that you can do it. That confidence, encouragement is critical. And I'll say that as many individuals are embarking on financial services because it is a industry of change. It's an industry of, of adopting. So uh, back to life logics. It took a while to even land on that name. And 
I knew, and I'll share with you how long I've been in the industry, um, and I remember they just discovered fire at the time. That's not true. <laughs> it's an exaggeration. But yes, I will say, I will say that one of the one of the the most interesting things about you is the fact that we are different, we're of different generations. Yes. And I look at you with such style and poise and grace at the way that you've been able to navigate your career. And you had some of your early roles were at Countrywide and, yes. and Bank, Uni Bank United. So I know we're on the topics of life logics, but you know, you were just saying how awesome this profession is. You've been in this career for more than 30 years and you are thriving now. I mm -hmm. want to make that distinction here. I'm sitting across from a woman who is thriving in her career and you are not looking to work another 30 or 20 years. Oh, no. You're exactly. So that is really something to be said. I don't find many examples of that. Hence why I really wanted to pull you into the suite today to let women know, and even to convince myself as a woman in my fifties to say, right. you know what, I have a place here for the next 30 years, 40 years, even if I want to be here. So what was it early in your career? We had talked about some of the elements that attracted you to the profession, but who, how did you get here? What were, how did you start those early roles? Well, I'm going to go back uh, to the very beginning. And I appreciate you saying that I have expertise of 30 years, but I'm going to move that meter out. I actually have a career so far 46 years. Wow. So awesome. as an inspiration for longevity and agility, this is an individual of 46 years in mm. the financial services industry. And <laughs> 46. I'm going to yes. And you're looking awesome. <laughs> so th this is what happens after 46 years. And keep in mind, in four years, I will be on my 50th year anniversary wow, in the same industry. Mm. And I I'll share with you, um, I graduated college in 1974. And I had an apartment at $160 a month I couldn't afford. I entered into a double-digit credit area uh, Loan rates were 14%, of course, certificates of deposit. I had a major and there was no job. So mm. my first job uh, in terms of how did I get here, which I think taught me a lot in terms of hand-to-hand -hand combat and to always leave the customer with a great experience, I learned in my first job as a greeter. What is a greeter? A greeter is someone that meets meets customers as they walk into a auto dealership that are not happy with having their car fixed that they just bought. Think about the position of, of talking to that customer, making them saying, wow, this was the greatest experience I ever had, and listening to them. So I had a tremendous opportunity in learning what the customer wanted. So... I got my first real job at an insurance company and I had no qualifications and I became a bookkeeper. And I was a bookkeeper uh, processing commissions and premiums. I only can type one key at a time. I refused to learn how to type because that's what they would make me do if, in 46 years ago. So I became a bookkeeper 
And then I decided I need to do better. I need to get more degrees, more stuff, because I really want to be successful in financial services. So I started to work during the day and at night, and I wanted my master's in business. I could not make rent. I could not pay my bills. I went to my professor. His name was Ozzy Nestor. Bless his soul. Oh, boy. Ozzie, That's quite a name. Ozzy Nestor. I love it. You can't make this stuff up, by the way. Ladies <laughs> no. and gentlemen, we're here in the suite. You can't make this up. So I went to Ozzy and I said, listen, I need to make money. Can you tell me what industries I should go into? And he gave me three industries, which I refer to as PPP. Petroleum. The petroleum industry, my first job interview, um, and they were talking thousands of years ago, was with a petroleum company, Amarada Hess. If you remember going back all those years, I would be the only woman that wanted to enter as a possible lower management position. No, I didn't. Mm. I didn't get the job. Then he said, well, pharmaceuticals, go for that. Well, a couple things were challenging. I was height challenged. I was gender challenged. I didn't have the sales skills. So um, I didn't get into the pharmaceutical area. Last hope. He said, precious metals. I didn't even know what that was. So I go to the New York Times, and remember, you could hold it, and you got all that black ink. I'm surprised that I didn't uh, pass away at that time, and I see something on the right, and it says, financial assistant needed. Okay, it had finance in it. It sounded really good. <laughs> it didn't have a P in it, that's for sure. So I go for the job interview. Um, I know I need to look, you know, serious. So I wore a black suit with black pumps, you know, white string of pearls. And I go and he sit, starts talking to me. He says, well, you know, uh, you don't have any experience. I said, absolutely not. He says, you don't really understand what we do here. I said, I have no idea. But I did see finance assistant to the vice president and that you were willing to start someone with no experience. He goes, that's right. So it was that experience. Uh, I learned to be an arbitrageur. I learned to uh, manage institutional positions. I learned anything about money, markets, spreads. And I worked at Shearson Lehman American Express, which doesn't exist. And I worked in a building that doesn't exist, World Trade on the 107th floor. And I wow. stayed there for about seven, eight, nine years, uh, quite a long time. And I was in the building and then I got a call from someone that says, you know, we're starting a wealth management program. Okay. I don't know what that is, uh, but we would like to have someone that understands the markets, you know, in, you know, an institution. Um, and uh, we'd like to speak with you. So I'm downtown Manhattan and I go to Midtown. Sounds good. And they started talking to me. And I was one of the first seven people hired for a small company by the name of Citibank to, <laughs> to start their area where they would offer non-FDIC insured products. We had two mm. products. Two. We had a fixed annuity and we had a mutual fund, which was their own. It was called Landmark. So we had two product offerings from which to serve the customer. That was it. That's so interesting. And you were, so you were one out of the seven. Were there other women there? Um, there was uh, a few, but they were acting in the capacity of ops operations, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not in the point of a face-to-face -face with uh, customers of high net worth. 
with the commercial lenders, uh, with the uh, private bankers. So I was one of the few people that actually interfaced with all those different divisions. That's so cool. So then walk us through a little bit about your time there. How long did you spend then at Citigroup? Um, I stayed there for at least five years. Nice. And, and I was recruited by another company that had a securities division by the name of Liberty Mutual. Mm. So Liberty Mutual had decided since they had the insurance business, they were going to also offer security. So I was recruited by Liberty Mutual and I started focusing on their enterprise business, specifically banks. And I was a key accounts manager. I had an opportunity for um, the different Eastern banks that were based in the New York tri-market area, New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York. And as a result of that, you got to learn everything about working with the bank culture, working on how they perceive non-interest income, how they would go through a request for proposal for due diligence in terms mm -hmm. of bringing different products and processes, how they would compensate wealth advisors. So when you learn all of that, in addition to institution, you really start to become a specialist. So it took about 12 years to just focus on the enterprise. And then from there, I started to work for third-party marketers. And what are they? They're not broker-dealers. They are companies that do clearing, all the account processing, all of the back office, middle and front. And they go into the lobbies of banks and credit unions and offer from end-to-end -end solutions, everything. So I now worked for a company that was a third-party marketer that was a, that was purchased, which you'll enjoy, by a small company by the name of LPL. <laughs> Isn't it great? I love it, Kina, that you've been that you've been in the right place at the right time. And it's like I knew then, I knew them when. Yes. And what's been really interesting to see in financial services is the consolidation of companies and the acceleration of growth in companies at the same time. What is it like today then? I, well, I should don't, don't want to take you off your track. So then that was another position. Yes. You've had a lot of positions. Yes. And so was that, um, walk us through the, the next wide. We're still not a countrywide yet, right? No. It was, okay. uh, countrywide was a, a a, an area of when I worked for a third-party marketer that was purchased by LPL that decided that mutual funds, insurance products should be offered through mortgage areas. And Countrywide was a very successful mortgage company that as you took in your mortgage applications because you had net income, you had all of your liabilities, you had everything about your profession, your credit score, debt to equity, they said if anyone can start uh, wealth offerings, it's going to be in a mortgage-backed industry. So Countrywide stayed in that area for a while. Um, I took a position of a regional coverage with the Countrywide offices, and I was the only one to uh, work with Countrywide uh, on building a referral program to build the marketing program on how to position wealth management in a mortgage-based company, how to train their mortgage 
officers as to when do they uncover the opportunity in the mortgage process. So I started to create a confidential data profile. So when they would start asking questions about their debt, where their assets were, they knew to start asking, do you have a retirement account? Do you have a retirement account with your employer? Uh, do you know what a retirement account? And that started the conversation. So it seems like a lot of your career has been behind the scenes. Yes. And that you haven't necessarily been dealing with the like the average consumer, the average investor, or the people that would come into like a bank branch that somehow that you've been behind the scenes at all of these companies. And again, I refer you to your Vitae that you have worked for, I'm gonna just hear, I'm gonna read off some nine. of these terms. Okay, right, um, nine. So we've got uh, health positions, securities principal, core states, now Wells yes. Fargo, Astoria Bank, now Sterling, yes. M&P, formerly Eastern Bank, yes. Bank United, health position at Shearson Lehman, American Express. We yes. had talked about that. You've also, too, done some really interesting work. Let's kind of, we'll fast forward it, right? Because there's, uh, <laughs> what I love, though, is that the fact that you've been at these companies when both the industry and the company itself was in infancy. Yes. What's the main, what's the main takeaway from that? What's the aha moment? Now, as you look back, right, you look back in the rear view mirror, you've got, you've got crystal 2020 vision. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be, what does it mean to be you and to have been working at these firms when they were a little infant and now to see they are giant? What's the big takeaway there? When I went into any of those infant opportunities, I said to myself, I can't change the person, whoever I worked with, uh, whether it was an executive person, whether it was a wealth advisor, but I can change the process. And I started to realize that I had a 600-point process, an actual reference book on how to create change, how to get from one part of the results to another. And with all those organizations, how do we get to revenue? What we have mm. to do to get to revenue. And I started to go with the end in mind. You begin with the end in mind. Yes. Yeah, so Stephen Covey Tennant's of the seven habits of highly effective people. It serves, by the way, for marketing as well, too. We always think of where is that link going? Where do we eventually want to take people to? And what do we want people to do once we get there? So yes, I'm very familiar. That's a, a, a great that's a, a great way to begin, I think, any initiative with the end in mind. So go ahead. So Again, go back 46 years, go back 30 years. Keep in mind, I lived through nine acquisitions, nine relocations, nine different bosses and teams, each one demanding a certain DNA from me, each one demanding a different persona, a different solution. So my biggest takeaway is go in there with an open mind, start to really understand what the challenges are. And all of my answers were very process driven, 
but they were different. It was looking at an entire field, and I always remember I was an arbitrageur, so I can do a hundred. What is a as an arbitrageur? What do you do? Like, what does your day to day look like? What do you what, <laughs> what do you do when you get into the office? So you look for for spend. those of us who don't know. So you've seen the markets, and you see how fast they trade. And we all know the basics. There's a difference between what you buy it at and what you sell it at. And you're dealing in very small margins. You're dealing in opportunity in a penny, in a nickel. But you're always dealing in an opportunity in a very defined time and price. So why I say why is it important to be uh, having the experience of an arbitrageur? You can take in thousands of pieces of data at the same time, markets, quotes, a foreign exchange, petroleum, the domestic market, the international market, the petroleum. And you're watching all of these things. And I was not a fundamental trader. I was a technical trader, which means I didn't listen to the news. I watched right. the, so keep in mind, I watched the patterns when something would have a breakout, where it would be a head and shoulders. And I see uh, numbers. Right. The chart, the being the head and shoulders is the way that the chart looks just so for for anyone that's listening right now there are certain nuances with technical analysis the way that data starts to actually look and appear on a chart and traders like kina and people who are real technical analysts rely on technical analysts rather than like a fundamental analysis where you're looking at balance sheets and the management of the company and all of that stuff and they're probably their go-to-market strategy goes somewhere in there as well. Technical analysis, you're looking like, hey, it's just raw data. And what is it doing? So heads and shoulders. When I, I was like, wow. <laughs> when I first learned about those those nuances, I was at an event with Ralph Akinpora, the 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 champion of, uh, and maybe even the, the founder of technical analysis. Yes. And I said, why didn't anybody teach us this? So uh, it's a, it's clearly a discipline that you, that you mastered and you, you have a lot of, um, you, God, you have so much knowledge. Oh. So you like technical analysis. Yes. I, you, you, yeah, right. It spoke your line. It, it spoke your name. <laughs> so the interesting thing is when people enter into this industry, you know, they want to be very, um, fundamental. You know, they're, they're looking at big picture and in an arbitrage world, we're looking at difference in a very specific period of time. And that's really that very laser focus capability because you cannot do everything at one time. You can only do one really good thing at that particular time. So you start to watch what's happening in a week, in a month, in a year five years, 10 years, and these patterns start to evolve as processes. So when Mm. you go into the enterprise, whether it's the bank or the credit union or the broker dealer, you're looking for what you can bring that will change the pattern, break the pattern. And you're looking at break the pattern. So you're looking at every aspect, like an arbitrage here. So what's happening in your division here? your pricing, your people, oversight, everything is happening at one time. And what I have learned is if I could tweak just one element, it will have a fundamental 
response. Mm. I just had to find what that element was. And if I, and, and in some cases, when I transitioned an advisor team, I had to do acquisitions. I had to appraise the practice and I would do the contracts and I would say, well, what about compensation? Can we change the compensation to attract the kind of talent we would want? So I knew whether it was compensation whether it was product mix, whether it was operations, whether it was their supporting team, there had to be something in the formula that could change to radically change results. And that's what I was always focusing on. So that, so basically my background as an arbitrageur, um, it may have been the marketing. It may have been the training effort. It may have been where the uh, people sat. It may have been, you know, what was that uh, conversation we should have? And I'll give you a good for instance, and this is probably the most boring for instance. When I started to offer insurance products over 30 years ago in banks, that was kind of unique you know, having an insurance agency for a bank, and you had to move that conversation to another opportunity. I only asked one question to do that. So when the bankers were opening up certificates of deposit and they asked, who was the beneficiary on the account? We only had one opportunity to change behavior. When they asked that and they got the beneficiary, they would ask an open-ended question. What have you done to date to protect your loved ones? There was the opportunity. So I only would look at one conversation starter in each opportunity that would create the result. So, so it's very surgical. That, yeah, that's- surgical is the right word for it. For sure. That you discovered just that one little piece of information that yielded a whole bunch of opportunities in that. I think that it goes, I think it's a great reminder to us that sometimes it's just a little tweak in a strategy. Yes. It's a little tweak in how you're doing things today that you can yield tremendous benefits throughout whatever whatever that goal is. And in your case, you were I, I say, and, and I said this when we first met, is that I said you were appropriately named by your parents that you're Kina. Yes. Because I noticed that you were very keen. Yes. And I'm sure you've heard this. You've had to have heard this. I know I'm not the only person who have Correct. Been, ha, has had to say this. I'm sure somebody told you 46 years ago when you first Absolutely. started industry, right? That you're very keen yes. on data and on on whatever it is that you're examining, even as we were preparing for this podcast, I want to tell you that Kina <laughs> took it to a whole entirely new level. So that's really, really exciting. I think that's a, a key takeaway for all of us and to get a little keener on our insights. So now let's get back to life logics because okay. oh, um, yes. that what, you know, what I'm hearing from you and what the audience is hearing today is that wow, you've been so fortunate to have been in so many in those nine different environments with Mm -hmm. those nine different bosses and having to change. And now you are here today. It's 2020. We are living in a COVID world. But talk to us about when you started LifeLogics and what it is that you do now. Why work for yourself over another company? That's a great question. And over this 46-year journey, I adopted 
adapted other personas, other uh, corporate directives, and I embrace them. My name was not on the door. My position as AVP, SVP, all the P's, I supported. I drank that corporate Kool-Aid. And as I was approaching my 60s, I had said, is that how, is that how the story is going to end? Mm. And I became very cognizant of what I brought to the table and my own mortality, even though they all tell you that women live close to 80. But in your middle 60s, you start to become very aware of what you bring to the table. And you're, you're, you say, is that what you're going to end up with? So I had this bucket list. I could have retired. And I could have sat there, you know, I'm not, I don't know how to crochet. I don't know how to knit. I don't know how to uh, uh, cook. I, I have a lot of things I can't do. But I. But there's a lot of things you can, and she has horses, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I, I do have horses. So um, why Life Logics? My entire life has been transformational. It has been a change. Probably where I lived, not only did I change husbands, but I also changed my address. Um, so I'm used to change. I'm comfortable with change. And every change that I had, it created a new kina. It created a new way that I thought of myself. So after about, remember, I started this business in my 60s, and I wanted to be mindful of what I became. I still haven't grown up, so don't ever think that I'm mature. I mean, I'm not what I, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. But I will tell you, Life Logics, uh, I saw what was out there. You know, whether it was a highly regulated, fee compressed business, um, it started to become to a commodity to me. It all started to sound the same. And when people mm. would start to look at, you know, we have this integration, we have this tech stack. Uh, Yes, I can digest 400 solutions. Keep in mind my background. 400 is not hard for me to digest. And I started to realize, what is it that's so different? What is it that I've taken away from the enterprise culture relative to the emergence of technology that truly is different? What's the value add? And I started with Life Logics uh, to embrace the value of advice. So here we are in 2020, and we start now going back on the value of advice. And I said, but it gets a little bit further than that. I was looking at technology solutions that were able to transform an advisor from just advice-driven into a life coach. And when you look at the tech stack, I was very process-driven, and I understand integration, whether it's multiple CRMs, multiple tax loss harvesting, rebalancing, you know, dashboards, single sign-on. But I said, but wait a minute, what about the most important part of the conversation, the, the health of the customer long-term? the wealth of the customer. And most importantly, the happiness started to jump off the page right at me. So when Life Logics became at the beginning, I said, you know, we're going to embrace health, wealth, and happiness. And I started to really focus on software and processes and all of the chants that really supported that. So when I started to look at what was out there, I looked at the deep conversations. I looked at the customer journey, as people call journey mapping. But I wanted to know that empathetic, that empathetic conversation, just like you and I are having. You say something, 
I listen, I may be repetitive and repeat it back to you, but we have to connect somewhere. So when I was in Manhattan, which is a very competitive marketplace, and I would meet with many kinds of people, my first thing was, I don't want to talk about your money. We're going to get that anyway. What did you do this weekend? And I was great. That line is more than 35 years old. Mm -hmm. As I started to see the technology and I started to look at all of these choices, I started to listen to, well, we have this, this tech stack. And everyone was talking in terms of a matrix. Well, this one is better than that one. And you know what? You don't have to skate all over the screen. We're going to talk, you know, single sign-on. And the reason we're going to integrate, and it became an integration business. From the client perspective, they're talking about their life. They're talking about their children. They're talking about their goals. They're not mm. talking about, hey, what's the what's that CRM that you have? I've never seen a CRM uh, say, wow, I love that advisor because he's got the greatest <laughs> CRM in town. And with all due respect. So I moved away from all the solutions, the tech solutions, and I started to watch how the conversation occurred. When do you start bringing up your health, your family, your life goals, your challenges, where you have your money? And we all know that there's um, all kinds of firms, you know, that can bring all of your outside assets into one place. We got it. But what was it that was going to have that conversation about your family, your children, the parents you're caring for, yourself, your spouse, your job? Well, that's a process. That is something that is above and beyond all of the technology solutions. So I, I said with LifeLogics, look, you've been in enterprise for a long time. You've doing, you've, you understand the request for proposals. You understand the uh, enterprise culture. All you had to learn was all of these different solutions. And I'm going to share with you my journey eight years ago, my first integration. And by the way, I went to a, and I know you're very familiar with this, uh, Tina. I went to my first T3. I call that mm. the University of Technology. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Big shout out to Joel Brockenstein's T3, the, un- the University of the Universe of Technology or the University, University. of Technology? The University. Could, could, could be both, right? Could be both that's so great yeah you get a real um you get a real sense of the whole entire universe over there at uh at t3 because there's every type of product well not when i went i had not when you went initially when did you again back in infancy the infancy version of t3 so i'm going to share with you how i got into life logics, how I became very comfortable. So my client was a bank and they said, Kina, you have to do this project for us. They said, we need you to write a paper on the digital uh, integration of wealth management. Okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. So my boss says to me, listen, you need to learn some of this technology. I found something, I looked up and there was the T3. I think it was in 2015. Maybe it was earlier. I still have the first, a bag that Joel gave out with companies that don't exist. I actually shared with him, I'm going to take that bag, which is in perfect condition. I'm going to make it into a pillow and I want him to put it in his office because it's 
many sponsors that don't exist. But here's how it went. I go to this conference, and there's about eight people, maybe 10, I don't even know. But it, it was easy for me to walk around. There was a company with orange sneakers, Orange. Uh, they were there. And, I, you know, I met uh, Joel and some other companies. Um, there was the CRMs. I, you know, of course, the red tails of the world were there. I mean, they, oh. they, they were right there at the beginning. Yeah. I had red tail and Salesforce for the bank on the private banking as well. well. So that was cool. I, I knew them, but I was charged with doing something different. So I'm walking down the line and I meet this company and I, and I think I'm all about the life goal. I'm asking the questions and I meet this company. I said, you know what? I think we should do something in terms of what you offer into the actual institution. I'm going to share the story. This company was uh, Pytech. The solution was Money Guide Pro. I had, and as we went through the due diligence package, because remember, you're talking about technology, you're taking in bank data, we're very protective of our clients. You're exactly. talking about our legacy systems. Please don't touch those. We don't really want you to. <laughs> they might break. <laughs> don't infect those systems. Don't do anything. Talking about the marketing people. Excuse me. You're going to bring in outside information into our precious real estate on the bank website. It gets even more challenging. I wanted to do something for the younger a customer that didn't come into the bricks and mortar. I was all about getting out of the bricks and mortar. I wanted remote capabilities. I wasn't even certain what I meant. All I know is I knew as a professional, I couldn't get to the bank at five. Nobody. Yes. <laughs> so how do I get people to help me? So met Kevin Hughes thousands of years ago. They gave us some information, six months of due diligence. The executive board said, I don't know if they're going to be in business. We're not certain. We are a stable bank with bricks and mortar many times over with billions of assets. We better do this right. So six months of due diligence, went through every marketing meeting, every IT meeting, every head of retail, every head of finance, both sides. The president said, you know what, let's do it. So we um, offered with a sunshine, uh, health and wealth, uh, the customers weren't certain, and Money Guide Pro created a very cute uh, logo of a young couple in a, in a convertible going on to their journey of life, and they pressed the button, and they were able to do a little bit of a self-directed journey. So, mm. And that was really big at the time. Again, I think a key thread is that you've been on the cutting edge early, not realizing where that all of this was going to go. Because at the time that was revolutionary when these journeys were right, when they were, people were just kind of forming what, what did even, I don't even know if the CX UI UX was, was in, no, I don't know that it was, it, it, it might've been, but it wasn't certainly where it is today. That's, that's really exciting. You seem to be always focused on that consumer and really thinking about the person behind the technology because the technology is really only a means to an end, right? If you take a CRM, for example, and I use Redtail here. Yes. One of the re reasons I use it is to make me look smart because Correct. I remember the, the horses, right? I remember your husband's name. Correct. I remember, right, all of these interesting things about me and that helps to build our relationship, build a deeper relationship and instill trust, the, which needs to build over time. 
So it's a good point that you bring. Um, you know, obviously, all of these companies have evolved. And we always say, you know, the customer's expectations change faster than technology. And I always say that the customer buys the experience, not the product. So to individuals coming into this industry, every week, every month, I was forced to learn something. And that's another thing about coming into this industry. Never mm. stop learning. Cool. Every day I spend two hours researching, reading. I do it at four o'clock in the morning. That's okay. But I dedicate two hours a day, whether it's um, technology, whether it's a marketing uh, piece, whether it's a, a press release, whether it's uh, someone that's bringing out, you know, a thought leadership piece, a, a white paper, a glowing webinar. You have to always be looking for new information. So you do. And can do you have any sources? Uh, because you can look in saying that we all need to look for source pieces of information is really important. As you just talked about that whole philosophy of lifelong learning, which I totally agree right now in 2020, even before coronavirus happened, that the learning is so accelerated and we really need to come up. What websites and what sources, again, you're keenly aware of the, of the innovations that are happening in the industry. Where are you going for that knowledge? Can you give us some specific recommendations for sites and the way that you keep up your knowledge? Where do you, where do you go for that? So, that's a great question, Tina. There is the new and there's the old. So mm -hmm. if, you re if you remember at the, at the very beginning, um, I, I am uh, for 2020 the innovations advisor to the Bank Insurance Securities Association, which was very innovative. You're talking uh, about new companies coming in. So you asked me, where do you get your stuff? So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. I look at the young companies and I'm happy to mention those because they were in the innovations lab. And I look at the more mature companies. So mm. those are my models. I look at the up and coming and I look at the ones that have risen. And I, so, in, so CRM. That's not arbitrage in you. That's your there you go. Exactly. Because you need, you're not only looking, but you need to compare it to something to understand the, the bid offer spread. So, so you, so you said red tail, well, they've been around a long time and they're constantly improving yeah. on a, on a, on a uh, tried and true offering. And then you look at the newcomers coming in and, you know, there's the red, the, there's the red tails. And of course there's the sales forces, which are on, on the uh, older, but you also see the wealth boxes coming in. So I'm looking at the mature versus the new ones. And then when you look at, um, and you're very familiar and, and you're a proud champion of them on the risk, on the risk journey, you start to look at the risk allies, which has matured over time. And then you look at a young company such as ATA risk that was involved in the innovations lab, mature up and coming. What are they doing differently? So robo, uh, we have seen many, many examples. Every bank has brought out uh, Robo and, you know, some are some, you know, the Robin Hoods you've seen, you've seen all of them. Um, uh, Goldman Sachs brought out Marcus and all their other things. And there's huge uh, betterment. Okay. New Robo. Bamboo was in the innovations lab. So I look at trends. Again, we go back to that old Robo, 
new robot. Right. Um, and if I could just pause really quickly yeah. just for our audience. So one of the things that you might not know, uh, we talked about it, I may, may have just mentioned it early and early on in the bio, is that Kina kicked off from March 3rd to March 5th at the Diplomat here in Florida. Kina was head of the BISA Innovations Lab. Right. And so BISA had their annual conference. And as part of the that innovation lab, you had different product demos yes. for those companies in various, what you were talking about, you know, various segments of the financial services, some Correct. on the CRM side, some on the risk management yes. side, and, and so on. And even some of the, the newer technologies like the intergen datas of the world with uh, AI and, and data and machine learning. So uh, keep on going with that. I just wanted to just pause for a minute to let everyone know that, you know, this was Kina's comparative analysis between the, uh, I guess, you know, the newcomer and the category, the, 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 the benchmark. Exactly. I can't even talk right now, like, but yes. Um, so, so kind of walk us, so walk us through, co continue that always, you know, comparing right. the, the question was, you know, how we get our, our knowledge and you clearly, I'm hearing from you that when we do get our knowledge to make sure that we're not biased around just the newcomer, like there's benefits to going with the newcomer and there's benefits to going with the innovator, but there's also too benefits to going the with the the benchmark or the 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 person. What what there's that name for that? I can't. I think of that right now. The company that's that basically owns the category. Well, I know about it. In <laughs> it's okay. Um, I refer to them in my own mind as. The mature the leader, the leader, leader. Right, the leader. Here we go. Okay, the 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 coffee is finally kicking in. Um, but yeah, it's the it's the category leader. But you have to understand what problems you're trying to solve for, right? So walk us through a little bit of that innovation lab experience and and how how did you arrive at these companies? Did they find you, or did you go out and find them? I think there was one that found us. Uh, the most were. I have been watching them come upon a more mature market, and uh, it was important that there was no duplicity. So if there was uh, one that was very involved in social media, there would be no repetitive. One that was also growing in the bank and credit union market share that was a young company, uh, maybe five, six years ago that has had uh, strong growth. So why I'm sharing that with you is in terms of social media, there's a lot of companies out there, uh, but each one has gotten their foot in the door in a different way. So the company that I uh, hooked up with uh, years ago, I thought they were cool. They were in Toronto. I thought they were, you know, wow, Toronto, um, was a, a young company by the name of Grapevine Six. And they, they were different. Uh, there were six guys sitting under um, a vineyard drinking wine. And there you go, grapevine six. So here you go from, from drinking grapes to a very interesting uh, company in terms of content management, engagement, constantly staying there in front of the uh, customer. And then I had to go, I went to another uh, T3, again, T3 University, and I started to see a company really connect with the advisor market, really start to 
package it, uh, do some analytics that I hadn't seen before, their messaging, the way that they would do their demographics. That happened to be Snappy Kraken. I saw him on a few occasions. I said, okay, this might be interesting in terms of uh, a growth, uh, in terms of a package automated digital marketing. I like that. So the innovations, keep in mind, uh, there are so many uh, companies that are the mature and the innovations lab, the whole point of, I have gone to more technology conferences than I wish to admit. I, I save the badges. I actually save the programs because uh, I kind of like all the lanyards sticking them all over <laughs> me. I like that stuff. I love it. So what I saw here, and it was at an invest conference in New York City, is that they, they were demonstrating their solution. They had four minutes of magic. That had never been done in the BISA world. For 14 years, they were awarding companies, huge companies for innovations, but they had never seen the demonstration of the solution. So I, so I said, okay, you have all of these booths, all of these drapes, all of these brochures. Let's identify it like it was a technology area, innovations lab. And let's Love not, it. let's not give them booths, drapes, forget it. I wanted a digital kiosk that I've seen at other technology where the presenter was right there in the vertical space in whatever they could fit on that vertical space and the individual would come and see exactly. So it was the first time ever we learned a lot. We could have done things better, but the best part is taking a very traditional organization that has over 1,100 major banks and credit unions and broker dealers and insurance companies, and for the first time in a very small space, having a focus on innovation, embracing technology. So I share this with you uh, in terms of my, my career, learn a lot. You said, how, how do I learn all this stuff? I have, as you know, I'm always comparing the mature, as you say, the leaders, the owners of the marketplace. Yeah, the incumbent too is one of the words that was missing from my vocabulary a little while ago. So I watch that and I see what are they doing differently? What is the incumbent doing differently? What are they changing in their recipe? What is their positioning? And, and I have seen companies come on a very, very, you know, FMG, oh my gosh, this, they've been around forever in the bank market yeah. space. And then I see the snappy Krakens, you know, coming in the world, coming into that space. And then I start to see the grapevines coming into that world, colliding with that traditional space, a, a small company, uh, you know, social advisors. And then I start to see, you know, the intergen data is all starting to invade the space from the market leader. So what do I do? I go on the I go on the websites of all the all the market leaders. I watch what the Riskalyze is bringing to the market. I see that they're doing a fantastic fearless conference. I see what they're bringing forth to the community. That's perfect. That is a true uh, model. Yeah, yeah. I think it sounds like so. You're you're having to 
now depend a lot on the virtual events. So a lot of your learning has been done with you boots on the ground at conferences and at events, because I've seen you at every, <laughs> at everyone, because we, we both have a collection of lanyards yes. and, um, right, exactly. And been at a lot of these same things. And now you have all of these virtual conferences, which I would be neglect if I didn't say, uh, if you want to attend Risk Allies Fearless Week, go, you can use the, it's it's actually no cost to you. Fearless C-Suite is the code, everyone. F-E-A-R-L-E-S-S, C-Suite, gets you in for absolutely nothing. And then I also see you a lot on social media. So are you using social media? I see that you are, um, using LinkedIn and Twitter yes. and I, I and keenly aware of what's going on in the feed. <laughs> so I learned that uh, from a great person. Her name is Tina Powell. <laughs> and I start I started to see Tina as a major presence at the technology conferences. I started to see how she brought forth her persona. And I, and I say this in all honesty, I quite didn't understand what was happening. You know, I was a meet and greet kind of person. And I, I understand that in terms of being one-on-one um, and I, I can network, but I started to see other things happening. You know, how they were connecting. And Tina, you were absolutely a virtual model for me and the way that you put forth yourself. I had no idea what the tweeters were doing, the LinkedIn was doing, you know, all the postings, why you would connect virtually. So it took me a while, took me about three years maybe to figure it out, but I'm very aware in this virtual world that you have to be out there all the time. You have to live out there. Remember, life logics, you have to live out there. <laughs> it's logical. So I watched, I read a lot of postings that these um, market leaders are putting out there. Maybe it's information, um, you know, on the older millennial. My eyes would start, I'm on my own, and you know, and you're very important in that world. Uh, I'm my own and yourself, you're the the bellwether on surge engine. I look for topics. So when I see something that relates, so it, as a person in the industry coming in, what's important out there? If you think millennials is important out there, and that's going to be your forte, start looking at millennials. If you think caregiving is important to you, start clicking, Google, Google it, take the initiative, caregiving. If you uh, start to see baby boomers as your market, start clicking. My new focus, strangely enough, is the older millennial. I did not realize that they're outpacing the baby boomers. I'm now, I'm, I'm growing out of baby boomers, uh, <laughs> but it's okay. But for people getting into that, social media, create a focus, create an area of interest, a subject of interest, and start to become a subject matter, more knowledgeable, not an expert, but get in there. And when you start watching that and saying, well, what are they talking about? You know, why, why is robo so important? Why is artificial intelligence so important? Why is cloud, whatever you're aligned with? Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. And one of the things I do want to say, and thank you very much for your kind words. I feel like social media is just like it's, you can be a fly on the wall and hear the most interesting conversations that are going on. And they're really totally super relevant and it's what's happening now. And one of the things that, 
you bring up a really good important point with the search engines is that social media, the ability to search on social media for those topics that you're interested in, whether or not it's robo or AI or anything, wealth management, millennials, older millennials, the, the search engines, Twitter in particular, and Twitter has an advanced search. LinkedIn also too has the ability to search not only like by people, but also too by content. So you can see what's being said about that on both of those platforms will yield amazing insights and up to the minute knowledge because some of the PDFs, the articles, and while their white papers are great, and there's absolutely a place for white papers and webinars and and even podcasts, Mm -hmm. nothing's going to replace the immediate gratification and the knowledge, the up to minute knowledge that you can get and garner from social media. No, and I, you've, you've done an a- amazing job. I have to say, <laughs> I want to really stop and pause and make sure that you, you understand, I see the evolution and how you've been so strategic in, and so adaptable. This was a concept that we talked about on uh, a few podcasts ago with Terry Shepard, episode 10 being adaptable. And if there's any takeaway from this conversation too, you've been, you've been, you've been really good at, you've been excellent, better than good. You've adapted with, with everything, but you're, what you've been able to achieve on social media. I see people liking, you have a huge amount of engagement. And what I love it is that, look, social media is a multi-generational discussion. It is, it crosses uh, generations, nationalities, it's gender. Social media is an all-inclusive discussion. What exciting things are you working on now? I have uh, uh, one or two questions for you. And as we begin to kind of, I know you and I can talk for about, we can, we could talk for all day, <laughs> but what kind of exciting things are you working on that you can kind of share with us? It's a great question. I'm focusing on broadening my network. It was very interesting. I was invited uh, and you invited me first into a women's in finance group. So you're asking me, what am I, what am I focusing on to expand my knowledge, uh, Mm -hmm. my network? I'm now focusing on women that are creating community. I never heard the word tribe before, but you said, what are you working on? My goal right now is to understand what that community is doing. I have learned some very sage advice. I was on a call I was invited with yesterday and I took copious notes and and I'm, I'm beyond the age of the thirties and I'm writing down things of being a better you. I'm, I'm being, I'm writing things down. Uh, that was, uh, and I didn't create this uh, line, but, uh, one of the participants said 2020 is the first time we can redefine our lives. That resonated with me. So for those entering and for those people that have been, this COVID moment allows the pause for you to focus on your better you. And you ask me, what am I in? What am I involved in? So two things, a better me to really see what I can impart to the community, what I can impart to the industry after my uh, experience and also 
pay it forward. Uh, someone asked me that the other day. Give it back in one way. And it doesn't have to be a check. It, it happens to be availability. It happens to be with empathy. And I needed that myself. And here I am, and I'm going to share this with you. Um, I'm closer to 70 than 30. I'm closer to 70 than 60. And even in that moment the other day, I said, can somebody please reach out to the 65 over 65? I know there's 30 under 30, 40 under, but can we just? So again, I'm trying to understand the needs of the older person in a Mm -hmm. very young industry being 65 and older in a millennially focused industry, tech industry, and I always quote myself as a born-again millennial, what can you do for the 65 over 65? There is some serious considerations. They Remember, they're not as trainable to go into the bricks and mortar. It's not like corporate's going to hire them tomorrow. You know, what is it that I can give them in terms of dealing with this time of change. And I'll tell you, if I could weather all of the 46 years, create a business past 65, closer to 70, actually know that the uh, mandatory retirement age has turned to 72, which appeals to me versus 70. (laughs) I love that. that. So the the 65 over 65, it's not just the young ones coming in. Remember, we're like washing machines. The 65 over 65 are in their world of obsolescence. The younger generation has to actually hook up with the 65 over 65 to to weather the challenges of this ever-changing, ever-demanding industry. And I don't say that lightly. As a 25 or 18, 20-year-old, take the one that has the most experience the most patience, the most availability, because you know what? They want to give. They're not competing with you. They've already made their statement. They've got their W-2. So when someone uh, could be in our industry, a bigger sister, a bigger sister, take, take that person and say, you know what? Adopt me. I am looking for a younger sister that I can help go in there and they can call me and say, Hey, Keeney, you know, I just had this job interview and this really blew me away. What do I do? I've been through so many yeah. job interviews. My resume, I can't even figure out how to do the resume. Well, you know, <laughs> right. Uh, well, you've been so giving. And I think that we do as an industry acknowledge that there, there's always, there's continuous improvement. I think we've all tried to do the best job in the world that we can And we can perhaps, instead of not only having the 30 under 30 or the 40 over 40, but yeah, I think you being in this industry and other people like you who have had a career close to 50 years deserve some accolades and some form of recognition. So it was one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on this podcast because I don't see any people, I don't see many keenness in the world. And when I see you, you stand out, you stand out in person on social media. And I just want to tell you that I think that you're doing a wonderful job. You're an inspiration to people like me that 
want to see some sign of life in the latter years because I want to be here for another 30 years. I love what I do. I want to keep working. And so when I look at you, Kina, I see that there's hope. I see that there's evidence that that can be done. You're listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business and the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers for today's episode are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershon. Our editor-at-large is Kevin Hershon. Our content writers are Tina Powell and Carmen Varner. And our research assistants are Anbifa Kosaraju and Atika Upridi. In the Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a digital marketing and social media agency for C-Suite leaders in finance and technology. You can visit csuitesocialmedia.com to learn more and for show notes from today's broadcast. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In the Suite podcast. Please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with Kina Pettijohn and share your thoughts on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag In the Suite. I would love it and it would mean so much to us if you left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or where you listen to this incredible episode with Kina Pettijohn. You can also follow her on Twitter at Pettijohn underscore B, that's P-E-T-T-I-G-O-H-N underscore B. And always, if you would like to share the name of a successful woman in the financial services we should interview, please send it to me at Tina at csuitesocialmedia.com. We have received a lot, a lot of great names. We've adjusted to a weekly schedule and trying to make it all possible for you. It's been tough, but we are absolutely rising to the challenge because of you. You can reach Kina Pettijohn at partners at lifelogics.com. That's L-I-F-E-L-O-G-I-X-S.com. So thank you again for listening and subscribing to In the Suite.